And it really, what we uh, are dealing with is prayer. And that's where this starts for our government, right? And in our prayer room, we have really a poster there that deals with praying for our government and all the scriptures that deal with that. It keeps you in mind of that. So uh, keep that in mind. Prayer is a big deal. It is our power. So I begin this message... um, and it's going to apply to the next message as well as it did previously in the verse that we did last week in uh, verse 13. Um, I don't claim to be an expert in the practice of prayer. I, I know that I like to pray, but it's a constant struggle for me. And, and I don't want to convey some sense that as I preach on prayer here that I have arrived in what prayer is about. You know, I know that I have a long way to go, but... Wherever we're at, we want to join together in our in our thoughts and in our journey and our pilgrimage. We want to join together, become God focused, a God focused church, a God dependent community that gets together agreeing. When you get praying believers that are agreeing on things that are right, God blesses that. Prayer is where we get our power from. You know. The Word of God is here, but without prayer, without the Holy Spirit, we have no power. We must be a praying people. It's like breathing. A Christian has to pray. We have to breathe to keep on living. A Christian has to keep praying. It's his life. That's his new life. So the topic of prayer here continues as we left off on this subject last week and The question was, is anyone among you suffering? What does he say? Pray. Pray. Let him pray. That's the answer. That's what it started off with. Of course, it says, anybody happy? Let him sing praises to God. And that's a form of prayer too. Same thing. So it continues here, and we'll have another question here today. I think it's a fascinating passage of where we're at. And I have to confess to you, this is a challenge. It is tough. Pastor, you say that right? All the commentators, interpreters, and especially myself, for years I have dealt with this passage and I've gone back and forth with it and what's it saying? And I've never been really, really sure. You know, one thing I can say, it's the issue of prayer. It's the issue of believing God. And one thing I can say is somebody is sick. They, go, they actually call the elders to them and they pray and they anoint them with oil and they're made whole. And that's what it's saying here. And I know people have prayed for physical healing in the church all through the 2,000 years. We pray for people uh, for their physical healing and, and we are to do that. Uh, what, what is this saying here? Because truly people have prayed for physical healing. What happens when you don't see the people get healed or they continue to have cancer or, or, or those kind of things? What do we do with that? What if they don't get well? And so, just exactly what this passage is about is what is difficult. It's not troubling, but it is difficult. What kind of sickness is this? Um, What's the significance of the anointing? And what is the promise of healing? 
What? It's controversial, and I will say it is complicated. It's not a nightmare. It's a joy to study God's Word. But I will say, I don't always arrive at a conclusion of where I'd like to be at on this. We can definitely get some ideas of what it is, but I can tell you this. Our main issue is the means of prayer that God uses and that He gives to us who are dependent, totally dependent children upon the Father. And so we have this privilege of prayer. To pray uh, a prayer properly is to be absolutely God-centered. Uh, on the poster in, in the prayer room, it really starts off with the Word of God, focuses upon God, and then we move on God's holiness, God's sovereignty. So, you know, it starts with God and who He is and what He's said and being totally dependent upon that. And I want to tell you, Satan dreads nothing more than when saints pray because that's our power. Satan hates it when that happens. So he'll do anything he can to stop you from praying. That's what he does to me. I'll be right in the middle of prayer and all of a sudden I'll start thinking of something else and I'm off into somewhere else and a couple hours later I go, huh, I was praying while I go, whatever happened to that? Um, you know, he laughs at the saints' toils, their works. He laughs at them. Makes fun of them. Uh, he scoffs at the wisdom that we have. The wisdom that says to the state who comes up with ridiculous laws that go against God's Word. And we have to, we know where things are going when certain things happen. Now it's come to the bathroom issue. You know, with the, the, the transvestites and that whole community. And now you're having arguments on that. And I'm sure a lady would not want a man come into their bathroom while they're dressed up like a woman. And I'm sure you guys either would walk out or probably say, get out of this bathroom. And you know, you run the risk of offending somebody and maybe going to jail because of Isn't that ridiculous? We have wisdom. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. How far can all this stuff go? Bruce Springsteen. The wisdom of the world. And all the other musicians that are coming out. I'm embarrassed for musicians. He's not speaking for me. He can say what he wants fully on him. I don't need him at all. But that's what the world is saying. You know, we're, we're hearing all this out there and it's like, it's be, we almost become numb to it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But this is incredible. The enemy is really on a war path. Yeah, he scoffs at our wisdom. We have wisdom. We have the truth. We have the Word of God. You want to know something? When we pray, He fears us. When we're reading Scripture, it's prayer. Dealing with prayer. Power of prayer. We realize the victory over the forces of wickedness in high places. We are victorious. Saint, whether it be on his knees, whether he's standing up, whether he's sitting down, whatever posture that may be, Satan hates it when we pray. We want to commit better to being a praying individual, praying family, a praying church, don't we? Because it will make an impact on our lives. We want to improve. The power can become evident in us. We take that. So James is going back to a pattern here that he started way back in chapter 1. You remember he talked about trials? And he said, be patient, really. 
And he also says, pray. And that's the same thing that he's been saying here in chapter 5. He talked about the farmer. Gave a great example of how a farmer patiently waits for when God gives the growth and the harvest. And he's continuing with that. James is continuing the same thing. While we're here in this life, we pray. We wait. We wait patiently. We wait patiently. We pray, right? Someone said about this, hang on and call for air support. <laughs> Be patient, pray, right? Uh, I don't know about that, but it's, it's dealing with persevering, weathering all the storms that come our way, realizing about the coming of Christ. That's always the motivation. Expressing our faith manifestly in God's sovereign purpose and His good providence that He has. Resting in that, that this is good. And when we pray to Him, we are showing that we're trusting. Trusting the Father. The good, good Father. And so we have patience and prayer combined together. And when we have individuals and we have the church doing that, we see God's will being done. Let's, uh, let's stand. Let's read this word that we have this morning. And we're going to be starting... Actually, let's start at verse 13 where we were at last week. And we'll go through a section that goes a little bit further than where we're going to go today. But you'll see the context. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's just singing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the instruction of prayer, the gift of prayer, the promise of prayer, the results of prayer. Thank you for that power. And then we better understand this infinite subject. I only know the very least little tip of what this big iceberg is of prayer. Help me to know you better by improving my prayer life, Lord, and all of us here. In Jesus' name, Amen. We just prayed. Prayed for God's will to be done in our lives. And now we go into the, the Word. We read it. We jump right into verse 14. We realize this is a very tough interpretive section. And we're going to start out by ruling out the ones that don't belong there. The, the interpretations that have come here for 2,000 years, historically, and all the way up to the current times. There are interpretations that are still with us today. If we can get rid of these ideas, 
what it doesn't mean, then maybe it'll help us to maybe whittle some things down to getting a little bit more of a handle on what it means. And by the end of this, maybe we get a, at least a really good general principle on it. Like I said, I haven't arrived at exactly what this means perfectly, but there is depth here. Let's look at what it isn't. And we start off with an easy one. It certainly doesn't imply last rites. And that's what the Roman Catholic Church uses for last rites. Uh, extreme unction, it's called. You guys heard of that? Uh, well, why not? Well, it's often been used to justify the Catholic Church auricular confession. We, we saw the confession of sin. Confession to the priest who is the one who forgives you. That right there off the bat ought to send radar antennas and such up, right? Uh, it's used to practice this extreme function. A priest anoints and prays with a specific form of words over someone who is dying. The prayer is not about healing, but they are going to die. And so it's not that they're trying to revive them back up, but they're going to die. The passage does not speak to that at all. That's totally out of context. Um, the Scripture here is looking to a hopeful prospect of the person being restored to health. <laughs> not uh, some kind of a ritualistic form of words put together for that person that they, they die and that they would have their sins forgiven at that moment. It doesn't talk about priests here and ministers even coming and administering that kind of prayer. It talks about the elders coming to this house or to the sick and then giving this kind of prayer. Um, Catholic Church will use a consecrated oil, a consecrated prayer formula for their sins to be forgiven and to prepare them for death. It's said to convey divine grace to a person. Now, do you see that in this text? Not even close. Uh, for one thing, he's not using some kind of consecrated, magical, mystical oil and imparting grace in sacramental fashion as the Roman church would do. Well, that's, and the priest really is the go-between. He is the one who forgives the sins. Jesus Christ at the cross is where our sins are taken care of. It's His work alone and not anybody else's. We don't need a priest, a go-between us and God. Now that's one thing I think we can just boot right out of here, right? No problem with that one. And the next one, I don't think anybody would have any problem with this. Some people say that physical healing is always God's purpose. And that's always His will and He will heal. God does that. But this is the theology or lack of theology is if you say it, as long as you name it and you claim it and you own it, then you will be healed. And never in Scripture do we see that, but this text would be using it's That's sadly misguided. And it makes God a genie. And God says, I can't do anything unless you... Say something positive. You've got to give a positive confession 
Uh, it doesn't line up a scripture, and it's very self-centered. It's, it's not even ending with, if God wills. I've heard some of these teachers say, don't ever even say God's will. You already know that God wills it. If you're doing that, you're coming in with a negative thought. And Jesus said what? If God wills. God wills. Um, so, God's purpose is much bigger. If He doesn't answer the way that we want it, He still answers. Because He is the God of prayer. He is the God of power. He is the God of healing. He is the God that is going to do His will. That's what we're trying to get in touch with. Um, we're not to be self-centered. It just doesn't happen this way. God does heal. I never take that away. So don't, don't hear me wrong. But God's purpose sometimes can be so much bigger than what we see at the time. God, take this away from me. He could. He certainly has the power to do it. But he's thinking, I'm not going to do that right now because I have to teach you to trust in me. When you're on your back, it's funny, you have a lot more time to pray and a lot of your thoughts can only now go to your need of God. And that's sometimes, there's so many answers to that. So it's not always God's purpose. If that be the fact, there is nothing but failure constantly in God's church. Another one is, this is talking about, they say this is talking about public healing services. You don't see that in here at all. It's not talking about a public healing service in the church or on the street. We're not instructed to do this in in that sense of having... uh, Healing services just for the fact that they come up here and we'll get them healed. You know, you think of TV and all the ones that go down to the floor. You know, they hit them and people have been hurt in that issue and uh, a lot of issues with that. Uh, terrible theology, healing sessions. Um, it, it, this is a dealing with time of prayer. It's done in the privacy of the home here of the infirmed person. It says call for the elders to come there. So it's, it's not talking about a church public healing service. It's not even talking about a, a, even the spiritual gift of healing. We know in Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians, you get the gifts of the Spirit. And so there are gifts that God equips every believer with. And, of course, we know in 1 Corinthians it, it talks about the gift of healing. But in this issue here, it says call for the elders and they'll pray over you. It's not to say that they have the gift of healing. Whether they do or not, that's not the idea here. Um, So no gift is even implied in the text. Another one say, well, that was just for that time back in the first century, and it's not for today. And I think I have to dismiss that. James was not just concerned here for the first century need, but sickness rests upon humanity for all times. And there are some sicknesses that come up where you just need somebody to come and pray for you. Uh, he deals, I think, here in a pastoral manner, and I think he gives instructions to, instructions to elders all throughout the history of the church. And so there, there is hope here. It's a church in any age. So I don't think it's any of those. You know, um, there, there's still issues to deal with, but... You know, to start with that, I think we can say, okay, let's let's say, what's he saying here? Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. They're to pray over him, anointing with 
Oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up and he has committed sins. They will be forgiven him. That's our verse. That's a long verse. First I thought, you know, we'd have this whole section and we'd put it together. Man, there's so much in here. Uh, word sick. What, what do we have here? I think this could help us a little bit. Just to define the word sick. Do you guys want to go over that? Well, I think it will be enlightening. It's astheneo. It means to be incapacitated. It means to be brought low. To be weak. It's a prolonged, very grave illness. We're not talking sniffles. We're not talking a cold or a flu that just hangs on or a cough that you might have that you know hangs on for weeks and months. And I'm not to say I'm not saying, hey, you shouldn't ever pray for people who have that, but believe me, we do. We need it. But this kind of thing, whenever the elders are to come, is something dealing with somebody really facing a sickness that is really serious, it's prolonged, it's it's it has incapacitated this person to work or to be able to function. It's often translated as weak. It implies that that illness persists to weaken the believer. It just can't shake its effects. Now with that in mind, let's look at physical sicknesses. Let's start with that. Look in Philippians 2. 26, 27. And we're looking at this word. Astheneo. Philippians 2, 26 and 27. Because he was, this is Epaphroditus, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Now this is the word here. He was extremely sick. Really incapacitated. For indeed, he was sick to the what? The point of death. Is this a physical sickness? Absolutely. But God had mercy on him. God did heal him, but evidently it was not immediate, was it? It was sometime down the road because it was a prolonged sickness all the way to the point of death and then God had mercy on him. How many times do we have our little sicknesses, which are serious enough, and then then we're okay? Well, I believe that that is really God healing us. But it's a, a different kind of healing than you think. You know, usually when we think of a healing, just boom, boom, like that. But sometimes, he, he, most of the time, he uses natural means. Sometimes he uses a miracle, and that's why it's called a miracle. It's a supernatural event that doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen out of the, you know, it, it's, it's out of the ordinary. And so that's what a miracle is. If you have miracles constantly, it no longer isn't a miracle. It's just natural all the time. It's not supernatural. So that God had mercy on him, not on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And then you guys would have sorrow, and we all have sorrow. And thank the Lord that He healed him at that time. Do you see the word sickness there, right? Physical sickness. Absolutely. Second Timothy. Paul writing to Timothy. Second Timothy 4, verse 20. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Paul left him there. Do you think he prayed for him? Oh. You know, Paul 
seemed like he just had avenues to God. (laughs) Paul didn't always get the answer that he needed. It seemed like he did, but it would be sometimes later down the road. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Later he gets the free trip to Rome. Um, Here is this Trophimus. Did he not know what James said? I, I think Paul knew about this. He, he knows. But he was really this incapacity type sick, not just a flu, a cold, sniffles, hay fever. I'll tell you what's serious is those allergies are right now. <laughs> I see that stuff you know, floating around almost. I almost see it. I, I see the effect on my, my cars <laughs> and... Uh, other places, uh, windows. Windows are really bad in the house. Uh, that's that's now that's that's when I need somebody to come over and pray, you know. Sometimes I I almost think that I need somebody to be praying over me. My throat is really stuck here, uh, but that's not really the case there. But there's that is absolute physical sickness, and it was something that Paul knew about. He had to leave this guy while he was still sick. Evidently, he didn't get the prayer answered at the time that he would have liked. And definitely what uh, Trophimus would have liked. <laughs> He's still there in that condition. Look at Matthew 10.8. It's a pretty bad sickness, isn't it? Matthew 10.8. Talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 7, verse 8. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely receive, freely give. There he gives these orders to the twelve to go out and do the same things he was doing. Pretty amazing things. I don't think that <clears throat> we're raising the dead. Um, we can pray for people that they would be healed. And God heals them, and sometimes doesn't. There's there's lepers, even you know, um, casting out demons. Uh, but that was at the time where Jesus was there, and that established that who they were with their power, um, and they could do the same thing that Jesus did as He gave them the authority to do it. They were in a in a position to do that, and carry on to show their legitimacy that these guys were special that God was using. But there that word is what I'm concentrating is heal the sick. Heal the ones who are incapacitated. The ones who are deathly ill. Very ill. Um, We could go on and on all through the Gospels. You know about Jesus where He he heals the sick. That's that same word all the way through there. In John 4.46, go on and on. Jesus healed these sick. Therefore he came to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a royal official, remember them, whose son was sick. That's that same word, Capernaum. He was so sick he was going to die. He was at the point of death, verse 47 says. So I think it's sticking with that Greek word. It really helps us to understand what is going on there. Look at nine of chapter, Acts, or chapter 9 of the book of Acts. <laughs> That's confusing. Acts 9.37. Say it that way. And this is uh, in Joppa. 
disciple named Tabitha or Dorcas. Kindness, charity she did. It says in verse 37, it happened at that time that she fell sick, same word, and died. This time, we have such a deathly sickness that somebody dies. Here's this apostolic authority that comes in. The time she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciple, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose, went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. All the windows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them out, knelt down, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, calling the saints and widows. He presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa. Many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. This is Peter. This is after the Holy Spirit has come to the church. Peter did what Jesus had done. He raised the dead. Jesus wasn't even there. Jesus was there but not bodily form at this time. And Peter, trusting the Lord, he raised her. Peter is in the apostle. It wasn't like anybody can go around raising the dead. But that being the apostle. But she had been so sick. she died. I call that deathly sick, don't you? And that's the same word all the way through there. And so that's why that word can definitely mean sickness. And most of the time it actually does. But it also can mean an emotional or spiritual weakness really bad. Have you ever been to a spot in your life where you were at a point where you just couldn't even pray and you needed somebody to pray for you? You were so emotionally blitzed, weakened down, you needed somebody to pray for you. I'm sure we've probably been at that point. Either we wish we had somebody to do that or you give somebody a call and say, I want you to pray for me. And, that, and, and that's what the church is to do. Um, and I'm not suggesting that this word is the word to be interpreted in our passage, but I think it can help us as we look at a few scriptures dealing with that. We were in Acts, right? In Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 35. Same Greek words now. We'll be looking at this, and it just might muddy the matter. <laughs> uh, hopefully, it'll help us. <clears throat> in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Do you catch the word there? In the Greek, it's the same word as what we've been seeing as what? Sick. Help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Somebody who is weak really at a point where they're incapacitated spiritually. And it affects them physically too, right? Spiritual and physical matters, they can go together. Romans 4.19, next book over. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb yet with respect to the promise of God. He did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith giving glory to God. Who is this guy? Abraham. 
He grew in faith. He contemplated his own body and he saw that it was as good as dead. Right? But would you say that there is a weakness? There was a deadness there, right? In In his body. It's in 19, he's weak in faith to the point of he's past the age. Uh, and so he, did, he wasn't, I mean, I just said he was weak in faith. He wasn't weak in faith, but there's that word. He wasn't sick in his faith. He trusted God, right? He was he's strong in that sense. Um, how about Romans 8 3? Oh, Romans 8 1, no condemnation, right? Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. It's weak. It can't satisfy God's demand. It can't forgive sins. It's weak. The law is weak in that matter. It's very strong, but for to save us, it doesn't have that power to save, does it? So it's sick. It's spiritually weak. Okay? With with all of those thoughts, and of course you can you know keep going on, and we can look at First Corinthians and Second Corinthians and such. We can say here we have a real physical sickness, but it also can be at a point where one is just so spiritually weak, incapacitated, weakened that they can't even pray. Second Peter three sixteen. Peter says there, I think we were discussing this over Bible study back currently. Paul said some things in his scripture and his writings that were really hard to understand. Oh, really? <laughs> you ever ran across some hard statements that Paul yeah, it was pretty tough. You really have to read it, study it, pray about it, get commentaries and dictionaries out, really go for it. You have to work at it, right? There's some difficult things in there. I love that. The Bible is simple in offering the Gospel, but man, the profoundness of the Gospel is unbelievable, isn't it? And we can fathom into the depths, and we've just started. <laughs> Hard to understand, difficult. Certain passages are. And that's what Second Peter 3.16 says. There's really no parallel passage to our James section in the way that it's said. You know, to really shed light on this passage, it's hard to compare Scripture with Scripture here. And that's where we really do that, don't we? Uh, we don't have that luxury here to go to other passages. I mean, we, we have some that are kind of similar and where we've been looking at, but they're not saying the same thing that he's talking about here. And one thing you have to remember is that the language is different. Well, we looked at the Greek word. The culture definitely is different. That doesn't always change things. Now, there's different nuances in how phrases can be put forth. We're separated by 2,000 years. Now, I'm not coming out and saying, well, there's no use to study the Bible because of all of these things. That's far from truth. Matter of fact, that it's the exact reason why we should study, right? And you can pretty well get an answer on everything. Maybe not the depth that you would like always 
and sometimes later you will get that. But I know one thing. James knew what he meant when he said this. I think his readers knew what he meant. I think there's definitely validity to physical sickness here. And I think that's really important. I think um, there also is another way to help us understand it, uh, understand it too. And, and I tend to blend two things together here. And that's probably the way that I'm going to formulate it in a sense. But just to look at it a few moments, just to see how we can take something, I, I believe, that looks logical. A lot of times, just because something's logical doesn't make it always true, though, too. But to interpret it this way would make sense, but it still leaves me hanging, and I'll give you the idea on that. There are quite a few theologians that believe that they take this word that we just looked at and showed, well, all throughout the New Testament, after the Gospels, you really see a spiritual sickness there. But we saw physical sicknesses too, so we're not issuing that out. Matter of fact, I'm keeping it there. But it could be at a point where somebody's so weak and impotent and really feeble. That's the idea of weakness there, rather than just a physical illness. It can be people suffering over oppression. Now, James is writing to people who are under oppression and persecution. Remember, that, that is, that's the text here. Uh, trials that they're going through. So suffering can produce impotence, can it? You can go through so much suffering, it makes you what? Weak or sick in a sense. Can't pray. Can't even confess your sins. Haven't even thought about your sins. Maybe sins have a lot to do with it. Maybe not. Maybe they do. And that does come into play in this section. And we'll talk about that, hopefully. Um, I'm not totally convinced that that's all the text means as far as a spiritual healing. It's certainly worth considering. Definitely, I think it can can play a part in there. Um, I've had people down through the years, you know, being a pastor, you have people that tell you things they wouldn't tell anybody else. And of course, those things are confidential. But they want you to be praying for them. Not that, you know, a pastor has more access than anybody else. We all have the same access to God, don't we? I am not a priest. No elders are priests. You go to the Father anytime you want. But sometimes, it's difficult. There is a difficult problem. This text seems to guarantee healing. Now, that's not a problem in a sense. Great. I would love every time that I'm sick that God would answer my prayer and heal me right there on the spot. And Hey, I would like that. I have nothing against that at all. I'm not one of those that like to be beaten on and, and get persecuted and, you know, really have it tough because I can be spiritual. <laughs> I'm not one, matter of fact, I don't want any of that. But, you know, truth is, you know, truth is truth, but... What, do, what does James say? He says, Pray over him, anoint him with oil, a prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. God does not lie. So we can't put that out and say, Well, I don't know what it means, but you can't do that. The Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sin, they'll be forgiven him. 
Then he says, therefore confess your sin. We should be confessing our sins constantly. Thank you, first John. We'll get into that. Not today. But uh, um, it does seem to suggest a, a, a healing, doesn't it? I don't have an easy answer. This is what I struggle about. This is what I struggle for as long as I've been studying the Bible over well over 30 years. I've gone with this text. and Man, it's meant to me. I don't know how many different ways as time has gone on, but... Um, Spiritual sickness does have a point in this sense. Like I say, I'm not trying to even emphasize this, but I am saying a spiritual sickness can always be healed. Okay, if you're, and so that that's the point that they drive home and say, okay, pray over him and on him with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is weak, who is battered down spiritually. And we saw that that word can mean that, and it does mean it. Okay, and that's why I can say I can certainly put this this thought in here. I really can. One who is spiritually sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. He he confesses his sins. He comes praying to God. Maybe he doesn't do it. Maybe the elder does. The elder is really praying for him, just trusting in God that. If he's spiritually, if he has sin in his life, he confesses the sin. First John one nine says, "What? God forgives his sins." Now that's interesting because you can say, "Wait a minute, God forgave my sins at the cross when in time I trusted in Christ, right? So my sins are forgiven, cast away. But yet, do we still sin in the Christian life? Yeah, we do. See, there's another seemingly contradictory thing, isn't it? But we have sanctification, which means we're still in the body. We still sin. We're still to confess our sins. Guess what? There's always the extreme people, and we had those books coming in, and they said, God says that He's forgiven your sins, so it's it's a past tense. Don't ever confess your sins again. Because if you're doing that, you're saying just needless things. You're forgiven. Confession is a sign of a Christian. Exactly. And John is saying that all the way through the book of 1 John. That's the whole context, isn't it? That is the mark of a Christian. They confess their sins. And so it's saying here, he's writing to to believers here. Granted, there are people present in that letter that are not. And that's what the purpose of James is too. But he says, the Lord will raise him up. He'll restore. He'll restore the one who is spiritually sick. If you confess your sins, what will God do? He will restore. He'll always do that. If one is an unbeliever, I don't think that's necessarily the text here, if one is an unbeliever and they come confessing their sins, crying out to the Lord that He is the only way and He is the source of their salvation, He is the sacrifice, what will God do? He will answer that prayer. If they're truly confessing their sins to Him and repenting, they believe God forgives their sin. Now that continues on in our walk though too. You're a believer. You have sin in your life. You confess it. What does God do? He answers that. You know what? You're restored. So that is why I do put forth that reason and I certainly put that in this text here of... If somebody's really spiritually low, they need it. They need an elder to pray over them. They need elders to come and pray over them. Anoint the oil, whatever. If they need that, if it's really that bad, you can say, "Well, listen, Dennis, does this mean 
that whenever I get a flu next time, will you come over to my house and pray over me? And I will not because I don't want the sickness. <laughs> now, I say that in jest. You guys know. If, if, I mean, if you really wanted me to, I would. I, I, I would certainly be glad to do that. On Skype. On Skype. <laughs> the modern, <laughs> modern theology. <laughs> uh, yeah, wearing a mask. Or, uh, Skype is even better. I like that, yeah. <laughs> But what we're saying here, remember what kind of sickness is it? I mean, it, it's, it's talking about, it, and I always want, want to be available. Whether somebody thinks it's a big thing or just a small thing, you know, we're always ready to pray, right, for each other. But I think, staying in the context, this is a serious matter of sickness here, isn't it? And so when the elders come over there, we know this person is in bad shape. So, I think that is a nuance that is, is helpful. Is that helpful to us? And we're not stretching that word. We saw where it does mean a spiritual sickness. And I hate to read in, well, spiritually it means this. You know me. I like to take the context and such. But using that word and then going over it, and I was looking at these verses, and I'm going, okay, that certainly is there. So I'm not spiritually applying this, even though I'm saying this is a, you're hurting. You're hurting mentally, spiritually. In every way, right? That's certainly some time, time for somebody to come and pray. So, now we come back. And is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders. Elders are to come and pray over. Call is proskaleo, and it means to call alongside. If the sick person who is to call for the elders, and not vice versa, that means the elders are not omniscient. They don't always know where somebody is at or what is going on in their lives. So don't always expect that, but say, I need help. Call for the, call for the elders. And it's saying to, the elder is to go there. Uh, call for the elders. I think the elder is to, is to go where they're at. Elders is presbuteros. Uh, this would be dealing with the leadership of the church, the ones who are responsible in the church for others. They give account for them. Um, I love the plurality of elders. You have people coming there. You've got more than one. Uh, it could be a serious illness, uh, a terrible injury even. I think that would definitely go with this, wouldn't it? Um, it's affecting one's entire life. It's maybe life-threatening. It's some chronic pain. It's some kind of weakness. Maybe it prevents you from working or fulfilling any other duties or you're doing things very poorly. You're overwhelmed. Then you should probably call for the elders. And that's what elders are for. Uh, Look in Galatians 6. Now this is dealing with with anybody, anybody who is spiritual. And if you're all Christians and you're being led by the Holy Spirit, what? Then you're to go to people. uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, Galatians. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. 
right? Don't look down upon them. Come in as a brother or sister in Christ. If you're spiritual, it means you're being led by the Spirit. It means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It means you're led by the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit. You're inebriated by the Spirit. Get the idea? That is a command for all Christians. But I think in this case, James is saying, make sure the elders come in. Want them to be doing that. That's their duties. Uh, to be a responsibility. Then he says, anointing with oil. The word is alefo. It means to rub with oil. <laughs> Not too difficult, right? Um, and he directs the elders to pray over him. Evidently, it seems like he's in bed. He's, he's at such a point here that uh, laying down, or maybe it's just implying laying on of hands, identifying with him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The expression pray over there, um, uh, there's speculation on that, but um, whatever it is, he, he's in a, pos- a position that uh, showing that he needs, needs help. Um, the primary concern is what? That there'll be prayer there. There are several interpretations about the uh, oil. Uh, one is that it's specifically uh, a medicinal application putting oil to the wound. The good Samaritan, what did he do? What did he do with the wounded traveler? He anointed him with oil, right? Luke 10.34. Uh, so they, they will say that this means this. Pray and use medical means. I don't have a big problem with that. I, I can understand that. And especially at that time, the oils were important in, in their healing. Um, olive oil, you think of that, how important that was to them. So that, that's been one view. Um, some say the oil is a physical expression of one's concern God says it here so let's do it it's a concern it's to stimulate the faith of that person who's sick uh, Jesus used mud to anoint the the eyes of the blind man in healing him do you remember that? it was just like a means did the mud do anything? not necessarily I mean Jesus healed he, sometimes but he would use Physical things sometimes to help them realize what's going on. You know, a divine agent in healing. Um, James says that it's the prayer of faith that heals, not the oil. So the oil in itself is not some kind of thing that's going to make somebody heal. But the oil is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit. So there's many that would say that that's what that means, a divine agent here. It's the prayer of faith that heals, not the oil, but obviously it is not prayer that heals either though, is it? It's God who heals. Have faith in God. He's the one. The oil is not going to heal. The elder himself is not going to heal. His faith is not going to heal. God will heal. But all of those are aspects in that. And it's in the name of the Lord, His authority. You just don't say that at the end of a prayer or whatever, uh, kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot, you know. Uh, just you know, a superstitious use of, of a term. In the name of Jesus, right? We can say that in the name of Jesus. You know, we say that in a prayer constantly. In the name of Christ, you know. In your Son's name. Um, that is in concert with His will. God, here's what I think. Here's what I'm praying for. I think it's right, but I want your will. 
in the, in what Jesus would pray for and what Jesus would ask. He has the authority. In His authority, I ask this, but that it be you know, His will. It's not done carelessly or without discernment. Okay, we move to verse 15 and point number 2. What about the prayer of faith that will restore? What about that? What's the prayer of faith? Is James guaranteeing healing in every case? Well, if you read this, it sure looks like it. What's that? Subjunctive mood. There is an if clause here. And, of course, what, what would that be dealing with? It would be God's will or not. God's will. And that would be present in the Greek tense. Um, yeah. There's, there are extremes. Some people say it is always God's will to heal. When we say that, we have a lot of problems. We've already seen it in the New Testament dealing with Paul as he wrote Timothy and such. Um, and here is the sense well if it doesn't happen you know what they will come back with then and and man I've heard this over and over and over and they'll say well that person didn't have faith enough I'll tell you what you want to hear something that destroys somebody's faith I'll put that in quotes is whenever somebody says well you didn't have enough faith that person failed and they say well forget it I can't do it I I, I don't have it I, I must not be a believer and some people say yeah well you lost your salvation that's sad. I mean, that just uh, that irritates me severely. You must not pray. People have dropped out of church because people have told them you didn't pray in faith, and they they prayed for months. They didn't get the healing that people thought they should have had. Um, the problem with this is the one who's praying here is the elder. It's not the person who's sick. Who is to be praying? The elder is praying, and he has the prayer offered in faith. So if you want to blame it on anybody, blame it on who? Not the sick person. That's terrible theology. But see, they're forcing something in to fit what they they believe, and it's not true. You must have not prayed in faith. It's false, and that is cruel. How do you, how do they know they didn't have that? No faithful believer should ever get sick or die. I've heard that. If you're really faithful to God, you should never get sick. And I heard one lady say she was not ever going to die. Nope. Well, God forbid. Uh, the only one that I know that has never died is who? Jesus. They all uh, passed away in one sense. Or, of course, you had uh, a special case, uh, Elijah and Enoch. What's that? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's only one way to do that, just to die. <laughs> uh, it doesn't square with reality. We know better than that. It doesn't square with the New Testament. Paul was not healed. Um, he had a terrible eye disease. There were other things uh, with him that he went through. Um, you also have Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, 25-30. You have Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Um, uh, you have Timothy drink a little wine for the stomach ailment so um, healing by faith we still eventually get sick and eventually we die 
So it can't mean that it always happens that way. If you go in, you, you have an elder and he prays for you, you'll come right out of your sickness. I, it, and we got a subjunctive clause here. We're still dealing with God's will. It's always God's will. It's always there. Look at all the other passages that, that deal with prayer and God's sovereign and, and His um, um, providence and how He works that through. But there is a promise here. It's, it, and it is offered in faith. Offered in, in a prayer of, of faith. Uh, it's not saying work very hard to work up enough gumption to where you believe the Lord now. If I can just work it up just a little bit, I, I'm believing, I'm believing. I need a little bit more belief, right? You know, and you, you have it and you, you start saying, I'm already healed. And you're sitting there sneezing and, and you're blowing people away. And I'm not sick. I'm not sick. And that's, that's a negative confession. You know, I, <laughs> and all this stuff, I heard it so often. I heard it so often in the store. And they would come in, I'm not sick, and man, they're, they're just they're sneezing, and they're, they have, they might, they might even sometimes have a fever. Uh, I'd see them a week later, and they were still sick. See them two weeks later, and I'm going, that, that doesn't match up with what they're saying there. Uh, they said, well, I didn't have enough faith. Well, how much does it take? I owe you a little faith. I'm a little, I want more. But the same thing, we're granted faith. Faith is a gift of God. Faith comes from Him. It is His faith that He gives to us. And yes, we are to exercise it. We are to use it. But it means to believe Him, to trust Him. Even when it doesn't go my way, every prayer should be a prayer of faith, shouldn't it? We should not ever ask anything of God unless we believe that He is able to grant it. And when we say prayers here, we know that He can grant it. And I'll tell you what, more often than not, and I can say high percentage, He has granted it. When we have prayed here, sometimes it might take a little while longer, sometimes it's been very quick, like immediate. But we don't know God's sovereign will in advance. If I'd been one of the John the Baptist followers, I'd be praying for his release from prison, and that would be right. I would have not thought it to be God's will that King Herod would chop off his head. John the Baptist. Wow. How about Peter when he said, Oh no, Jesus, don't say that. You don't have to die. Yes, he did have to die. He doesn't die. Our sins are not forgiven. He did not know God's will. Thought he did. How about the jungles of Ecuador that claimed young missionaries' lives? One of them being Jim Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot. You ever heard of her? She went through a few husbands. She still believed God. He believed God. Um. Call for the elders for prayer if you get in a situation when you really need it. Call. If you're aware of any sins, we'll be asked about that. Then if you do have sins, then you need to confess it. God can. God does heal. Submit to His sovereign will. However He chooses to heal you, He will. You give Him the glory. It's not the oil. It's not our prayers of faith, even though those are ingredients, but it's God who heals, and that's where we place our faith. 
not faith in our faith that we can raise it up and have the gumption to get it up a little more. No, it's faith in God. I believe God. I'm really weak right now, but I know this is God's power. And He will restore you. That word there means sozo. You ever heard of sozo? Soteriology? It means save. It means salvation. It means to deliver, to restore, to preserve, to make sound, to make whole again. Prayer of faith will restore. So it doesn't contradict or replace Jesus and James' emphasis of praying, Thy will be done, and if the Lord wills, right? We know that that counts. He will raise them up. Egero, awaken, to arouse, to rebuild. That's what will happen. He'll save, He'll restore them. And what is this business then about sin? And number three here, and we're closing this out, you will have your sins forgiven. We kind of mentioned that earlier. Committed sins, sometimes and quite a bit, there's a relationship between forgiveness of sins and healing. Is all physical maladies connected with personal sin? No. (laughs) They'll be calling me up later. But, in another sense, yes, it's connected with Genesis 3. Everything always goes back to there. Man, when I'm working out in the yard and I'm seeing things that I thought I took care of yesterday in the yard and you got these weeds popping up, now you have this and this happening. And you've worked so hard and it just keeps it keeps battling. And I'm going, Man, I'm sweating out here. Yeah, you promised that. You'd be sweating, right? Toiling. Because of what sin did. And yeah, sickness, death. It's connected. It is connected. Not necessarily that particular sin. If we had enough time, we'll go to John 9, 1 through 3. We will. Uh, I love this verse because it does answer a lot of things. You can say, well, he must have sinned then. He's, he's a sinner, man, because look at him. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me. That's Romans 9. It's not Romans 9. It's John 9. That's a great verse. The, I'm sorry. I'm hurrying. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that had to be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's difficult, folks. Was it God's will? I'm asking you this. Was it God's will that this man be born blind? That's what it says. It's for God's glory. People got to see it many years later. This guy had to spend much of his life blind. But you know the beauty of it is? We'll get to see him as he sees us in eternity. I want to meet this guy. That's what's important. It's a pointing to eternity. Not just the now. This is not our best life. Psalm 32.5 Sin, forgiveness, illness, it is connected. Not necessarily that particular one, but it, it is connected. And much of the time, it is certainly connected. It's a good time to examine ourselves when we are sick, isn't it? Psalm 32.5 I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt 
of my sin. This is David. David sinned. You know his sin. You know what he did here. He prays. I acknowledged it finally a year later. I confess. You, and he was he was sick. That's sick, isn't it? Now he could have, and he really got physically sick. There was a spiritual and a physical. You get spiritually sick, and it'll drive you to physical sickness. Going that way, physical sickness can take you spiritually sick too. And he was both. There's no doubt about that. And I think that's where this applies here. I think the physical and the spiritual matter really there's link, and there's a link here: forgiveness and healing. It's not that the person is always sick because they've sinned, but it does remind us of our spiritual sickness and our need to be healed. We can be weary, we can be weak, but it says, call for the elder. And maybe even a, for, uh, maybe there's a confession of sin that needs to be there. And the Lord will restore that. It's not talking about confessing at a confession box with a priest there. And you have to say, oh, yeah, I, I broke my vow that I wasn't going to eat any candy during Lent. I broke that. Well, that's an easy one to do. Your sins are forgiven, my child. The sins that bind us, compounded in the weakness, they will be dismissed. You don't have to carry it on anymore. Prayer is mighty. Let's be a praying church. Let's step it up. I have quite a few going in the prayer room and putting their uh, little notes or just praying in there and, and just taking Scripture. It can... I want to see what it results. I'd like to see a lot of different quotes, verses written on there. I'm challenging you. This is where we need to unite to pray. And that's a good way to do it. And there may not be anybody in there. There might be two or three people and you're elbowing. Four people. Five. That'd be great. Well, imagine you here. How you doing? <laughs> we'll pray. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time dealing with prayer. Even though we don't get the full answer on this, and I'm I'm still looking at that and dealing with it, Lord, whatever that we have learned here today, that it can help us. It'll be helpful in our Christian walk. Now, how how we close this out this morning is that we come to you recognizing continually that we are communing with you, and that makes us whole regardless of where we're at in our walks, to be communing with you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. (coughs) Communion calls for remembrance. We want to remember what God has done.
Thank you. 
That song is our message for our community. Father, with these elements, we realize your presence with us. We remember you. You said, do this in remembrance of you. So they help us to think and ponder upon your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your continuing communion with us in our lives every moment of every day giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us your truth of the Word, being able to pray to you, being able to worship with your people. We remember what you've done to our individual lives, how you saved us, how you kept us going. These are tokens that you told us to keep doing till you come back. Help us to remember you every day. In the authority of the very name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.